Welcome to Taiwan Talk. I'm Sheree Felice, and this week I'm joined by Suzanne Lawrence, the U.S. Department of State Special Advisor for Children's Issues. Listen in as we discuss how Suzanne is working to combat parental child abduction. I am here with Suzanne Lawrence. Welcome to Taiwan Talk. Thank you. It's great to be with you this morning. Oh, thank you so much. So, can you just explain a little bit to me what your job title is and what your role uh, in that job is and what you're doing in Taiwan? I'd be happy to tell you a little bit about my work as the Special Advisor for Children's Issues at the Department of State. I've been in this role for about two years. I'm a career foreign service officer, and in this job, what I work on specifically are issues related to children. Uh, I work concurrently with our Office of Children's Issues, and we work on international parental child abduction and intercountry adoption. And the reason that I'm here in Taiwan is to inaugurate a joint commission that is the result of a memorandum of understanding that was signed between uh, the United States uh, AIT and uh, Taiwan. And what that memorandum of understanding does is give us an opportunity to work more closely together uh, to help both of our societies deal with this problem of international parental child abduction, uh, which is when a parent will take a child against the wishes of the other parent who probably has custodial rights, and they will go to another part of the world with that child and again, this is really meant to circumvent the laws um, that would govern the custody of that child. So we work with a lot of partners all over the world to try and put in place systems that would help parents when they are trying to resolve issues of international parental child abduction. Okay. So obviously, parental child abduction is a very serious issue, but Actually, could you tell me how big of an issue is it? Is it an increasing trend here in Taiwan or internationally? It is an important issue, as you say, because, of course, it's um, involving children who don't have a say in the actual decision by one parent to take that child and to, to have that child be apart from the other parent. We produce a report every year at the Department of State on international parental child abduction, and we look at it from a global perspective. Obviously, we're a big country, and we have a lot of people, and there are lots of people who move to the United States, and a lot of Americans travel and live all over the world. So I think it's as the world becomes smaller in many ways, you see that there are more instances where families are moving and living around the world, and with that comes I think the opportunity in some, some ways, the risk, if you will, of a parent deciding to undertake something like this. But you'll see in the annual report that there are statistics, but of course the only cases we know are the cases that are actually reported to us. Some people would say there are many more cases of international parental child abduction, but in some, some of those cases, parents will eventually work out an arrangement or an agreement or people just don't know that they can come to the Office of Children's, at Children's Issues at the Department of State for assistance. But I would suggest that anyone who wants to learn a little bit more about the issue go to our website because there's a wealth of information at childabductions.state.gov, and you can see sort of the history of the issue and the kinds of steps that the United States has taken 
to prevent this from happening, but also to resolve the cases that do occur. Okay. So tell me, out of the abduction cases that you've dealt with, how many of them involve the successful return of the child to the right parent? We would say that success is actually resolving a case, and resolving a case does not necessarily mean a return of a child to one or the other parent, because as I said, this is more a jurisdictional idea, that it gets to the court. The State Department is not a family law court. Uh, We don't have social workers. We don't We're not involved in the merits of the case. We're not saying you're a better parent or the child should go to school here. What we're saying is you shouldn't be taking matters into your own hand by taking a unilateral action against a custody decision and removing a child from their habitual residence and taking them somewhere else to avoid going to the proper court. You want to get to a court. You want family court lawyers and judges be presenting the merits of the case, and you want the judge who's experienced in these matters to make decisions for the family so that the family has an agreed-upon resolution, whether that means joint custody, whether that means summer vacation and Christmas vacation, whatever that means for that particular family, that's for a family court judge or a judge to decide. It's not for a parent to, to take a decision where they remove a child and they don't abide by the law of the court. Oh, okay. So your office kind of brings them to the table to start the compromise procedure. Yes. I mean, and this is an interesting, I think, sometimes people don't understand the gravity of what they've done. Uh, In the United States, kidnapping is a crime in all 50 states, and it's a federal crime. And so sometimes a parent will have taken a child from overseas, brought the child to the United States, and when we contact the taking parent and we say, by the way, (laughs) we're the Department of State, we're the central authority, a case has been filed by the left-behind parent. You have committed something that is not permitted in the United States or through this system that we are a party to. And sometimes the parents all of a sudden realize the gravity of what has taken place, and sometimes that will lead them to having a productive discussion with the left-behind parent and trying to resolve the matter before it even goes to the court. I think sometimes people just don't understand what they've done. I know it's a very sort of unique situation, and it's not necessarily something people hear about all the time, but it does happen all the time around the world, and I think people can, can be more aware. And we do a lot of education in the United States with attorneys, with law enforcement professionals, with judges, with mediators, with all sorts of people who have involvement with families that are obviously going through a very difficult situation. And so we're very involved in education and then also prevention. For example, we have a program in the United States where parents can enroll in a program where if they are concerned about this happening, the child would not be issued a passport without the consent of both parents, and we would always check with the parent who has asked for this to be put into the system before we would issue that passport. So that's another way to prevent a parent from taking a child without the authority or knowledge of the other parent. So there are a lot of things that people all over the world can do to help prevent this from happening. There are things we can all do to educate parents about the gravity of of making this kind of an action or taking this kind of an action. 
And then, as we've talked about with this MOU, there are ways that we can work together with our partners to strengthen the prevention, to strengthen the information, and also to create ways for parents to, to resolve these situations. In the cases that you've dealt with, have you seen a theme in what usually leads a parent to do something like this? Again, I think sometimes people are not necessarily aware of the gravity of what they're doing. Sometimes what happens really is it's more of a retention. Let's say a family decides to go from the United States to Germany for a family event and everybody is traveling and everybody's agreed to travel. But once there, perhaps there were problems in that marriage. And then they get there, and one parent says, I don't really want to go back. I'm unhappy, and I'm just staying here, and they don't return with the children. So I think that it can be a variety of things. We see hundreds of hundreds of cases, and each case is really quite unique because it's different people in different situations, different marriages, different relationships. And I think, you know, it's, it's as different as all of the variations you can imagine when you're looking at at the kinds of relationships that, again, in this day and age with all of the studying uh, and traveling and working, and I think Taiwan is a great example of that. So much has happened here in a positive way to increase the um, traveling between Taiwan and the United States. You have so many students from Taiwan studying in the United States, and college is a great place for people to fall in love. <laughs> and so, you know, you have all sorts of um, opportunities. And with those opportunities, you can sometimes create different ties and bonds that might lead to this situation. We all have great hope when relationships begin, but sometimes things don't quite work out the way we expected. So I think there's a real forward-looking aspect to this. I think that the authorities here in Taiwan saw the opportunity to do something very proactive that is yet another symbol of the closeness between Taiwan and the United States and an opportunity to work together so that our societies benefit from that cooperation. And this this is an area where I think uh, we owe it to the children involved to do all we can to create those kinds of bonds and mechanisms. Oh, yeah, definitely. So you're scheduled to open the inaugural U.S.-Taiwan Joint Commission. Can you briefly tell me what you'll be saying during this commission? I think the commission is just an official way for us to launch this partnership under the MOU. It's an opportunity for us to discuss the various roles that the authorities in Taiwan would have with respect to resolving these cases. It's an opportunity for them to ask me questions about how we handle these issues in the United States. It's an opportunity to explore ways to strengthen the partnership on this issue and other issues. And I think it's great when you have a plan. You know, it's nice to say you're going to work on something, but to actually sit down at the table with the people who share the same concerns as you do gives you an opportunity to discuss how to actually make the plan work. And so it's a for us, I think, a wonderful first step to inaugurate the MOU and then also, of course, to set up the next meeting um, so that we know that there's continuity. And I think that constant communication, especially on, on these issues and the cases that we will have between us, is really important because there's so much work. Um, I know people here have lots to work on. AIT has a lot to work on. And so making the actual time to sit down and discuss the issue and figure out what next steps might be on various cases, I think that's a really great opportunity. Okay. Well, great. Thank you so much, Suzanne. 
Thank you, Sheree. Nice to meet you. Yes, nice to meet you too. Have a good time in Taiwan. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Taiwan Talk. I'd like to thank Suzanne Lawrence again for joining me. Tune in next week for an all-new episode of Taiwan Talk. As always, remember to take care of yourselves. I'm Sheree Felice.